welcome into another episode of the Young Terps Podcast. Ahmed Gafir and Mason Viner. Ahmed, lots to get to on the show. Uh, let's start it off with what we just, uh, an ugly thing that we just watched. The Terps uh, fall in Minneapolis, now one and three in the conference, six and nine on the season. And, uh, well, it was an ugly one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, even the first half, you know, didn't exactly go, I uh, wouldn't say went exactly pretty or went, you know, according to plan, but still Maryland was able to come out with a seven-point lead um, to just watch it just completely uh, de- deteriorate like that in the second half. Um, really felt like once Minnesota got going, uh, Maryland just had no answer. Uh, really disappointing, especially a chance. One is a team that you've historically done well against in the Big Ten, but um, kind of going into these next four games where you kind of look at the schedule and say it's kind of um, this is kind of the, the, that final stretch for Maryland to see if they can finally muster up something. Uh, really disappointing outing. Yeah, it, it certainly was. And at one point, I, I looked at the stat sheet in the first half and the Terps shooting percentage was around 70%. They only taken the two three-pointers, both of which they had made, but the turnovers were certainly there at that point. I believe they had seven at that exact moment. It stacked up towards 10 going into the break. And in the second half, when the when the baskets weren't falling, the turnovers continue, multiple players in foul trouble against a team that just, frankly, has not been very good this year. It was just really another instance of the ball just does not go in the basket for these guys. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that we talk about, you know, Maryland having that seven-point lead, but they had 15, 15 turnovers in the first half. And, um, you know, the end of the game, obviously, with, with 20. Um, but just kind of for Maryland to struggle like that. Obviously, Julian Reese, the way he struggled, um, foul trouble just kind of across the board. Uh, Caleb Prince and Roger just also can kind of – Look average at best uh, in in the limited role that he he looked that he played on on Sunday as well. So um, just like you said, you know, I think it was pretty evident just kind of throughout uh, this this really the first half of the season that it's Jameer Younger bust until the supporting cast really steps up. Um, and again, you know, on uh, on Sunday, Jameer Young stepped up again. Um, but uh, again, I, I think it's just really disappointing. You know, John Harris Smith, the the the, the, the body language just kind of looks off. Um, Jamie Kaiser kind of looks like he's forcing it and kind of um, just trying to put it together. Um, it, again, just kind of overall really, uh, really just puzzling and, and disappointing overall. Yeah, it's just it's not coming from anywhere but Jameer Young at this at this moment for this team. Uh, CSR, you mentioned him. To me, he's really a zero on the floor for Maryland, if not a negative in his minutes, which is a step back from kind of where he was at the end of last season, where he gave Maryland at times, especially going back to the Purdue game and against Michigan, against some of the better bigs uh, offensively in the conference, gave Maryland really, really solid uh, defensive minutes when when Juju got into foul trouble. And I'm not saying, you know, he was a perfect backup center to a team that can make a deep run or anything, but serviceable at times, sometimes a little bit better than that this year. So automatically there's two fouls, you know, on the stat sheet the second that he enters the game. Kaiser's forcing it right now. Scott just does not look like the same player. He hasn't found any sort of groove this year. Yeah. And look, between Patrick Emelian, Ian Martinez, Don Carey, this team lost production that it just hasn't found. And I won't say that they didn't necessarily replace it, even though that's the end result. But with Kaiser and DHS not being able to score any points, Scott taking a step backwards, CSR taking a step backwards, and we haven't even talked about the Purdue game where you got zero points from Juju. That's just that team's not going to win games. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, Purdue, obviously, I think that, that you know, going against ED, I think that's a, it's a tough, tough matchup. You know, Willard talked about it post-game. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give him some credit, you know, when he talked about just the Reese's uh, tendency to try and pull ED away from the basket, because obviously if you're trying to back him down, it's it, you, we all kind of know what that fate looks like. Um, but again, you know, when you talk about just with the, the supporting cast, we talked about Jordan Geronimo, who um, really kind of has shown flashes and through non-conference play, but really against the lesser known opponents. Um, and again, you know, against Minnesota, finished zero points, zero, uh, zero shot attempts, two rebounds. Um, so again, you know, uh, when you talk about kind of the outgoing production um, and three-point shooting, you know, Maryland was able to do a little bit today, four of 12 from deep. Um, but, you know, Akeem Hart and Ian Martinez, Ian Martinez statistic, statistically, I uh, believe it was only 0.3 percentage points higher, uh, but he did lead the team in three-point shooting last year so um yeah i mean there's no doubt that you know maryland was kind of looking at the outgoing production and looking at kind of what was coming in and maybe what was expected of them and you know yeah you kind of needed them to live up to what was expected and um between the transfers and between uh, the freshmen that they just really have not shown those flashes uh or consistent flashes um really that that maryland needs to um needs in order to win. And that's kind of why we've been talking about, you know, it's been Jameer Younger bus for Maryland. Um, and really for Dante Scott, it looks like the the really only times that he finds success is when he kind of reverts back to what he's been comfortable doing his first four years here. Yeah, that that is definitely true. And when you look at the, like you mentioned Geronimo, and I think that he's in kind of, I would say the most unique position out of anybody on this team right now, because he's the guy who plays at the four has never been great. Never been a great offensive threat, you know, has shown, you mentioned it, has shown flashes, but ultimately him and Julian Reese, they're just in an awful spot because if they do their jobs uh, 100%, you know, they're down there, they're scrapping for offensive rebounds, they're fighting hard in the defensive end. But right now, the minute they touch the ball, if the team that Maryland's playing isn't doubling them, they're almost doing themselves a disservice because why not give this team an open three? They're in the mid-300s in three-point percentage shooting uh, as a team right now. I, I don't even know. I, I kind of came across this the other day. I was watching, uh, I guess it was Florida and Kentucky on Saturday. They are talking about how to even rank in the NCAA three-point percentage as an individual, you have to average making two-and-a-half threes a game. And for a while, I was sitting there thinking, do we have one player that qualifies for that? Maybe Jameer Young does. Yeah. But you look at this team statistically, and they are – historically in the terms of Maryland basketball bad offensively. And now it's starting to spread down the stat sheet. Yeah. I mean, for a while they were top 100 in like steals per game. They were a good defensive rebounding team. Those things have also, they're falling into the 110 rankings. They quite possibly by the end of next week, if they don't have a good like steals per game average, be sub 100 in every statistical category on the street, on the sheet. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I kind of bounce between what's uh, what's more concerning, what Maryland's kind of shown offensively this year, or what Maryland should look like next year offensively without Jameer Young. I mean, again, this is all this is considering Jameer Young really playing hero ball, uh, thirty-seven points at UCLA, and again, you know, twenty points uh, in the loss today. You know, five of seventeen shooting. Um, again, it's just it's it's all very concerning. And for still, you know, you're returning your core. Obviously, Keem Hart, that's a big piece. And Ian Martinez, not not a core guy, but I, or I guess you could say core guy, but a rotation guy, um, a core part in that rotation. Um, but again, it, it's very puzzling to just kind of see 
so many of these pieces that looked comfortable just really look unfamiliar um and it's really you know it, it remains just uh you know one-on-one bet uh one-on-one iso ball um uh, for maryland and and again uh, it's just been uh disappointing um uh, i think kind of with all the high hopes and kind of what what fans saw in year one um it's really concerning um and again you know this is we touched on it briefly, but just kind of with this coming off the Purdue game, <clears throat> a chance to really start off the new year with that marquee win uh, after Maryland showed the signs of, of you know maybe steadily building momentum uh, against those lower lower non conference opponents. Um, these last two performances have been uh, nothing short of humbling. Yeah, it's it's bad when you look at the calendar and it's you know january the next year and we're still talking about pieces that could have been on the team or 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 what's kind of come apart year over year with guys that could have returned that that just pretty much tells you all you need to know about this team and look they they will welcome a michigan team that's i would almost put it in the same boat as maryland right now after a loss in the palestra to penn state today i believe they're six and ten on the season they are not having a good year obviously all the drama off the court with uh jawan howard and that whole situation uh, going on and kind of uh, derailing what was also supposed to be a team in the upper half of the conference that that is not in uh, not in good position at this time of year. Yeah, and again, you know, I think the 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 vote of confidence for Maryland there is that Maryland's returning home for that one. So again, you know, it's a chance to maybe kind of stack up some confidence. But um, you know, again, you know, this this four game stretch, I think, you know, obviously with that Minnesota, uh, Michigan, and Illinois at Northwestern. I mean, I think that's really really pivotal stretch, and had to really have three of those four games. Um, Potentially winnable, but mainly on the road where you're you're kind of able to uh, you know subdue some of these concerns um, for Maryland to just kind of watch it slip a lo- slip slip away like that uh, on Sunday afternoon was uh, just disheartening. And uh, like you said, Mason, it's just not a good team right now. But uh, how they'll how they'll bounce back on Thursday will be interesting. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure head head coach Kevin Willard try and figure out a way to uh, figure out the shooting problems once again. Yeah, you sure will. Last thing I want to talk about on basketball, uh, the crowd the other night was the number one team in the country. I feel like, you know, can't really talk too much about the state of things with Maryland without talking about the showing or lack of showing from the fans. And Ahmed, for me, being there, it it was disheartening and, and sad to see that many empty seats with the legitimate, not some early season kind of, you know, like I'd even throw like a Gonzaga comes to College Park and on at a bad time on on a weeknight but no seven o'clock coming off a holiday weekend for the terps obviously a big push with all the promos with the wall tickets the student section tickets up for sale but not much response from the fans yeah and again it's sad i know we think we talked about a show or two ago but just um i'm I'm still hesitant that even in my time when Maryland, you know, wasn't exactly great you know right after gary it was kind of just a lot of a lot of what if questions really um you know the wall promos were still focused around you know students and filling up, but it didn't it didn't um, for lack of a better word uh, reek of desperation for Maryland and to, to still see granted you know my guy Jason Belt uh, he does a good job covering all the games in College Park so he he was there um, but yeah you know I mean to see so many empty seats uh, around Xfinity and I think I saw some folks say you know granted that you know this is second and a half but you're still seeing sections half full um and again yeah uh there's a lot five years ago six years ago i don't think that was something that you really expected uh at, at in college park or if maryland was playing 
uh, a home game. You expected it to be a, a great atmosphere um, and didn't, didn't matter what the score was at around the 16 or 12 minute mark. You kind of expected Maryland to feed off the home energy and eventually pull it out. Uh, that's just kind of statistics showed that, that that was just what was likely going to happen. But um, yeah, like you said, you know, it just feels like there's just no juice. Um, and then, you know, it kind of goes back to what we just kind of talked about, just the, the fact that, you just lose that from year one to year two, but um, yeah, it's definitely disheartening. And and obviously, you know, football is going to be your bread and butter in order to bring in the money. But for Maryland to be known as a basketball school on a national scale, um, yeah, it's it's not good. No, it's not. And you mentioned you know feeding off the crowd, and even it felt like when Maryland, you almost want to. I guess I will call it. They started to push a little bit and you know, make some shots really late into the game where they didn't have a chance. You were still heard being in the building. Just felt like people were waiting for anything to really cheer about, any sort of push of momentum that that even in those moments you were, like, hoping if they get it to 12, you know, you were going to start to, like, feel that Maryland home environment because while not every seat was filled, I, I will say when there were moments where there's something to cheer about, it's still a lot, it's still a good venue to play a game in. You know, it's that we haven't reached a point, and I think we will see it starting Thursday where it's just just empty, plain yeah. empty. I mean, that Purdue game, while there was more empty seats than you expected, there were a lot of people in the building. It's still, you know, it holds one of the bigger college basketball venues there is. So when it's 80% filled, you do get a really, really solid crowd for a college game. It's the coming weeks, you know, or actually really the coming month. Uh, of basketball that's left with teams like you know Nebraska at home on the schedule that's not one that Maryland necessarily sells well any anyway for and start to look down you mentioned the financial piece of it this program needs to win for Maryland to be in an optimal competitive money situation in the race of arms that college athletics is where we all know the Terps are behind on the fundraising piece so they rely on the ticket revenue they rely on that stadium holding 18,000 and being filled with that and everything that comes with that, uh, at least during the conference season. So without that, you just you see you see the ramifications. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, we're we're you know talking about a program that's um, you know now now committing uh, tens of millions of dollars into to in an indoor facility to get them on par with everyone else um, in an NIL era. Uh, yeah, uh, again, you know, I think this is. You're kind of really going into uh, really pivotal offseason, but again, uh, um, I think it, it's it is just kind of overall concerning. That's kind of why I was talking about why I kind of saw the other side of why Maryland would try and just generate, you know, Purdue promos, and at this point, you know, just try and try and just fill the atmosphere because again, you know, when when you're able to kind of recreate it, uh, and obviously if it comes out in a win, you know, you know, you're more likely to get fans to come out, and if you you know you're able to eat that cost for that one game, you know you know, so be it. But um, again, it, I think that that's kind of why you're looking at this next three, four game stretch. Maybe, maybe, maybe you do get some people out from Michigan, but you know, you're kind of losing that last chip where, you know, some fans wanted to say, Oh, I want to see, come see Hunter Dickinson for that, you know, the the revenge game. And, you know, obviously, you know, Michigan's Michigan, it's a big 10 game, but um, yeah, I think, I think if Maryland wins one of the next three, uh, but you know, especially if they go winless um, it's going to be, Xfinity is going to be what what the Danning Mara, uh, Danning Manning era looked like. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Uh, Ahmed, let's turn the page over. Or yeah, you want to throw? No, I was I was just going to say again. It's it's just sad 
for year two of a, of a basketball school. So the last Big Ten school to, to win a national championship. So still, it's just just wild to, to, to just watch this. So, but uh, hey, uh, Mike Loxley to save the day, huh? Yeah, certainly is. But I, you know what? That, that made me think, you know, all the hype that just came with it. And I know we basically said the same thing now probably four or five times in it. To see all the like this guy coaches like Gary, you know, he's got the fire on the sideline. All these people that came out of the woodwork last year when they're winning games that were like, you know, hitting me up for tickets with the seats that we have and just, you know, the, the tournament and all that stuff and getting to the second round, getting that win, the recruits coming out of high school. I mean, you just start stacking up all these wins for the program that is program building wins. And to see all the air just fly out of the balloon this fast is. Got to have some people in that athletic department just shaking their head, walking away, not wanting to come to work, whatever you want to throw out. Yeah, again, it just makes it, it it's it just makes it uh you know, this is Maryland. It's 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 you know, Loxie says it all the time, and I think every Maryland fan knows this. It's gonna be an uphill climb for Maryland. Um, so yeah, to 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 have these puzzling results. I mean, Maryland's won 16 of 18 games against Minnesota. What is it? And uh, yeah, I mean it, it to to just to just have this unravel again in year two, um, but again, you know, you, we, we talked about the, the the similarities to Gary, the fire, all of that felt applicable. I mean, we it, it just there, there's there's part of the eye test where you're looking at it and saying the energy from year one to year two is is not the same. Um, and I also think it's time that we kind of acknowledge that the Tony Skin and Grant Billmeyer leaving was a pretty big impact. And sure, you know, Mike Jones, at the he's a heck of a guy to to add out to help recruit locally. Um, but you're looking at on court and we're starting to see on court um, and both those guys, Tony Skin, who was known for his development in the backcourt and Bill Meyer. We also, I mean, it, again, the fans, it was evident to fans the, the, that year one, or I guess, yeah, that jump from uh, Julian Reese uh, from, you know, the Danny Manny era to, uh, to, to, to Willard. So again, uh, I think, I think there's, there's going to be uh, a lot of questions to answer, but, but a pivotal off season, uh, concern for year three but uh take two mike loxy to save the day yeah and he does a big piece you mentioned recruiting locally and i think the terps got one of the best in the business back in college park ahmed uh and a change of the defensive backs coach or the corners coach uh tell us about czar back in college park yeah again uh i i don't know how this this kind of came about but there was a lot of buzz kind of through the season uh that this was kind of in the cards, but it sounded like this kind of came to fruition over this this past week or so. Um, yeah, uh, it sounds like he'll be back in College Park next week. And uh, obviously, this is a, a huge ad for Maryland to add a guy, obviously, uh, former former assistant who uh, spent a lot of time at Maryland, was really the driving force in Maryland's local recruiting efforts, uh, went to Boston College, was the driving force in Boston College's recruiting efforts in the DMV. And um, again, you know, I think his, his connections from his time at uh, obviously, head coach at Friendship Collegiate uh, did a really good job. Yannick Ngakwe, Jermaine Carter, um, you know, Derwin Gray, you know, Jalen Tabor, or Tease Tabor, I think is what he goes by now. You know, all these guys came under his R. So I think his his uh, his success and what he's 
done is well documented. And obviously he comes to Maryland as co-defensive coordinator where he gets to work with Brian Williams and fills that cornerback spot, uh, cornerback's coaching spot, uh, replacing Henry Baker there, which is, um, you know, he was on an expiring deal. I believe that contract officially expires on January 31st there. So, um, but again, you know, I mentioned on the site, you know, the the, the timing of the news was a bit unexpected because frankly, uh, the, the whole staff was on vacation this, this past week, just kind of not vacation, but just try to, you know, to, Detach, you know, after the bowl game, it's been a long season, try and uh, decompress a little bit and then get back in the building this upcoming week uh, and then, you know, kind of reconvene. And that's kind of when, you know, we expect maybe some more news to start materializing. But uh, I think this is a big, huge first domino uh, should have uh, some some reaction news uh, from a local recruit uh, starting Monday uh, on his arm to Maryland. But again, you know, I think he's a guy does a really good job just uh, connecting with kids locally. So I think, um, you know, Think a couple of years ago in the Durkin era, what the biggest hurdle was for Azar was Azar did a really good job connecting with kids. But a lot of the feedback that you heard sometimes was, I love Azar, but um, I don't know about Maryland. Uh, and I think that the feedback since then about Maryland is, and I think also the way that Maryland recruits is a lot more a lot more collaborative. And I think guys are a lot more receptive, but I think Azar coming to Maryland is just kind of another experienced local recruiter with a lot of the local ties to, to kind of help. Um, reinforce and, and frankly lock down a lot of this talent in what's a pretty deep 2025 class. Yeah, it definitely is. And and I remember, you know, meeting him when he when he was like kind of came onto the scene at Maryland with with DJ as the head coach. And you just listen to a guy who's got a lot of passion for this area, a lot of passion for Maryland, what he could do there. And then, you know, when Loxley came in, he was one of the guys everybody kind of circled and they're like, can they retain him? And seemed to be maybe some not the best relationship between those two guys at, at that point, but look, Loxley's done it now and he's added so many pieces back to it with Josh Gaddis, a guy who had a kind of a run in with, you know, to keeping Maryland guys connected to the program to now getting really what turns the staff into a DMV centric recruiting, you know, powerhouse here at home and maybe turns the tables back to Maryland being hyper DMV focused uh, in the upcoming class. And there's a ton of talent here that the Terps will have the chance to close on. Yeah. And I think, again, you know, um, I, I think I will, I will say, you know, just kind of on, on the relationship, I will last really the last two years or so, I never really heard really after year one, uh, really felt like a lot of things kind of got smoothed over and you really heard a lot of, you know, there are no problems like God, we're, we're good and all that. And I don't know if it was like directly like one-on-one -on -one hangouts, but, you know, I know that they, they've kind of been together in the off season over the last couple of years at, at you know, various events, things like that. But um, again, just like kind of re reiterating what we said, just a monster local hire. Um, and again, you know, a guy that, no secret that he's always kind of wanted that defense coordinator role. And uh, I think, you know, he, he and Brian Williams can kind of work well together. And Brian Williams is kind of always, you know, always had a, a big name uh, chasing him uh, over these last couple of years, but, and, you know, he, he's done a good job staying at Maryland and um, had that path and whatnot. So I um, think, uh, think, think, think it'll all work out well together. Yeah. And it definitely started off with a uh, jump on the 2025 class. The Terps uh, laying their first commit there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, cornerback Jet White, uh, six foot two, 165 pound corner out of Miami Edison. Um, I think he's a good player. He's, he's good. Um, uh, he transferred over from uh, orange over in California, over to Miami Edison, uh, this in 2023. Um, and again, you know, he's been to campus a couple of times. He'd been in, uh, in the spring 
and he had visited for two games uh, back in 2022. So he's a guy that, you know, he's been familiar with Maryland. Uh, I know he, he's talked to me before about like just his, his intent to make the cross country trip to Maryland to check it out um, because he's had interest, things like that. And uh, also a former USC commit. Uh, he had his top 10 uh, released in November, included Maryland, uh, also included Alabama, uh, Oregon, Ohio State, Penn State, Miami, Florida, Florida State, Louisville. So, um, again, I think it's a, a good good, uh, good first commitment for Maryland. Uh, get obviously, a uh, four-star from Florida. Uh, I think no Maryland, no Maryland fan will be uh, upset about that uh, and posted uh, 10 pass breakups, one interception as a junior. So I uh, think it's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see how, what shakes out in the end. But uh, nonetheless, uh, like I said, I think it's always good to uh, start off the class with the four-star. It is. And for me, always good that when we see uh, over on Inside the Black and Gold mentions of the uh, balloon commitment came back out and this one came out of nowhere. So always yeah, a fun day when we're, when we're talking about the weather balloon. Yeah, that was uh, that, that would probably still end up being the most random commitment uh, just because how it happened, how he announced it, everything. That was just that was weird. So but uh, yeah, you know, again, uh, good, good first local commit or, or out of state commit, excuse me. Yeah, elsewhere as the Terps look to it, a couple of local uh, top 10, top sixes that the Terps make. Uh, Ahmed, the one that everybody wants to hear about, Malik Washington. Yeah, I think that was kind of expected. You know, Maryland, Penn State, Oregon, AM, Syracuse, Virginia Tech. Uh, I think the, the the three main schools that everyone's kind of looked at long has been uh, Penn State and, and Virginia Tech. Uh, and obviously Maryland, you know, I think Maryland's done a really good job. Uh, kind of through the fall, I uh, really felt like ever since – the, the foundation of the 2024 class was solidified. It felt like Malik Washington became, not that he wasn't before, but became a bigger focus um, where, you know, Josh Gaddis was able to kind of uh, do a good job of, you know, building that relationship. Defensive coordinator Brian Williams, who recruits that area, um, does a really good job recruiting Spalding as well. Um, head coach Mike Loxley. So there's been a lot of, a lot of effort in, my, in Malik Washington already. Um, and I think Maryland is kind of heading into the early stretch, I think. I'd, I'd probably put them as their early team to beat uh, Penn State, uh, Oregon, but those schools already have early commits as well. Uh, but Penn State, you know, they're going all out for him as well. A&M is probably that one wild card. You know, uh, Mike Elko's staff over at, at formerly at Duke uh, had recruited Washington. So uh, I think it'll be kind of intriguing to see what does materialize with the Aggies. But uh, Syracuse, uh, it feels like every single recruit I've talked to in the DMV, I've talked to a lot of 2025 over this last, you know, seven, 10 days or so. Um, feels like 95% of them are mentioning Syracuse. Syracuse, uh, Devin Red is a name that's come up a lot. Um, he's, he's been hitting this area pretty hard as well. Um, so we'll see. Uh, the, Malik's timeline is uh, official visits in April uh, and probably make his commitment in May. So uh, a lot of time between now and then. Uh, but as of now, I think Maryland's doing a really good job in this one. Yeah, and then the Terps uh, back on the trail hitting uh, QO running back Iverson Howard. Yeah, he's another guy. I think it'll be kind of intriguing to see what materializes. Got a chance to see him on Sunday morning uh, out at the uh, 480 Club 7-on-7 seven seven practice. Uh, he's got a top 10 with Maryland, Florida, Miami, Michigan, NC State, Ole Miss, Oregon, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Virginia Tech. Um, he's really been able to visit Virginia Tech in the past, wants to get out to Florida, um, has been to Maryland and Penn State so far already this season. Um, 
obviously Jalen Harvey and uh, Xavier Gillum, both those guys, QO guys who are 2024 signees at Penn State. Uh, but I don't know that that's going to end up playing a huge, huge role, Not as in I uh, just don't know that I really see Penn State being you know, the team to beat early on or anything like that. So um, I think this one is probably a little bit more open. I could see it probably going into a number of different ways. Uh, but James Thomas has been the main recruiter in this one. Uh, he's felt like he's been been working this one for the better part over the last year. Latrell Scott, ever since he joined the program, has been able to kind of chip away with him uh, as well. So um, definitely been a familiar face uh, around College Park. So um, we'll see what materializes. I think between uh, Ivers and Howard, Bud Coombs, I think if, if Maryland gets one of those guys, that running back spot will be uh, pretty good. Yeah, Terps just keep reloading. Uh, in the backfield. Last thing to talk about tonight. Uh, I feel like we got to mention it. I, I wasn't really sure how much we would, but uh, let's talk Talia Tungavailoa and the entrance into the portal and a strange one without a waiver. Yeah, obviously with Talia entering the transfer portal, um, you know, the biggest question is whether he's going to be able to play. And uh, I love Leah. It's been really cool watching him just kind of grow and, and accomplish everything that he's accomplished and get comfortable within the program, really break out of his shell. But just really feels like as a whole, just this transfer is kind of everything that would be wrong with college football. I mean, his stance, while I understand and, and I get that perspective that uh, in the five games that he played at Alabama, in two of the games, he played four snaps. So why should four snaps cost an entire season? So I get I get that rationale, but it's not like his college experience was taken away and this would be his last chance. He, he, he if, if he gets denied his waiver, um, he, he would still be the Big Ten's all-time uh, leading passing uh, all-time passing leader. Um, so again, it I, I'm just not. Not sure that I really see the basis. It's very, un it's unprecedented. Um, and you know what? I mean, Maryland, obviously, they're, they're working with him. They submitted the waiver on his behalf. Um, Miami, it sounds like, you know, they're they're very much involved. And uh, if everything gets approved, uh, I would be shocked if uh, Talia doesn't end up at Miami now. Um, and Alabama's working with him as well. So um, really just feels like it's kind of setting up for an eventual approval of a six-year. Um, seems like there's a lot of pessim pessimism out there, but you know, I, I got to throw it back. You know, what what have you seen from the NCAA that's going to make you say, yeah, they're they're going to deny this one? Uh, I mean, I you know, I, I have no faith, and they recognize when the money is there to be made, um, it, it's there. So uh, it is what it is. But just a very perplexing situation, uh, really, from beginning to end. Yeah, I think you, you you covered the point that I would, which is this is what's wrong with college sports at this point, and. and I'll take a little bit of a different approach for it. That's life. The guy went in the games. There, there's no, there is to me, there's nothing that said that he didn't know the rules. The NCAA is very, very on the contrary to what a lot of people will say. The rules are out there to be found. They are given to athletes at these schools. That's whether they choose to not read the materials, not look at the ramifications for what they're doing, all that stuff. Those are the learning lessons that I will tell you Every 18-year-old that decides to not go to 20 of their lectures and then fails the exam, it's almost the same thing. He went into games that he knew that they would cost him the year in the end. And the rules then were a lot different than they are now. You know, this yeah. wouldn't even be on the table going back six years. Also, to that same point, what more does he have to gain out of the college experience other than NIL opportunity and yeah, I get it. Everybody wants to win. And Miami is a place where you can win just like Maryland is. He could have, you know, 
again, could have really shattered records here, could have won Maryland games and, and been, you know, that guy from Maryland football that he already somewhat is. So when you look at the situation, the only thing is the NCAA, you're right. There's nothing at this point that they, if, if they denied him this, I would be more surprised than not. I mean, I see it almost yeah. as 90-10 approve over it. But at what point are we just uh, almost allowing mistakes that aren't allowed for anybody else? You know, the whole thing about the NCAA for the longest time was it keeps athletes the same as other college students because more than likely they're not going to play professional sports. I mean, I feel like they had that ad running forever with Jerry Rice in it. That, that pretty much said that. And and for Leah, this offseason proves that that's true for him. He's probably not going to play in the NFL, That's or he would have gone to the NFL, or there's more money to be made outside the NFL, which will become very real for athletes like him. I mean, right now they're hearing rumors that Marvin Harrison is going to potentially consider staying at Ohio State. You know, you almost have to wonder what that check looks like. If they're going to hand him. It, it's It's shows so much that's wrong with the sport and really i just go back to the 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 level playing field aspect of it if that's not the case anymore which i know many people would say that i'm on an old man rant right now but if that's not the case then let's just make it crystal clear at this moment that we're basically going to turn college sports into club sports and as long as you're enrolled in the university you can play and eligibility is only a factor for your walk-ons at the end of the bench and guys that don't make the sport a ton of money yeah. And again, you know, you talk about like the NIL component of it and like, I get it from Leah, you know, if you're looking at someone that's, um, you know, um, you know, from an NIL component, obviously he has the potential, especially at a school like Miami could make more there than he does um, as a potential practice squad guy uh, at, you know, in the NFL. And, you know, what, what, what do you think the probability of, Talia hanging around by year three or year five. So I get, again, I, I get from the perspective of, you know, uh, you, you want to get the, the, the money if, if possible. Um, and when you say, you know, the rules are there to be made, you know, uh, again, I, I point back and I've written it in two articles now, but was leading up to the Michigan game, uh, Varun asked uh, Talia, you know, have you thought about coming back or not? And Talia was like, oh, I think I'm out of eligibility. So like, how do you how do you say that then and have that not used against you? I don't know. That, that moment has just come up in my head like three or four times now um, where it's just kind of acknowledging that, you know, this is kind of an unlikely scenario. But uh, again, uh, the whole thing is what well, we said, you know, just kind of what's wrong with sports. Um, but uh, again, you know, just the, the Leah, the, the, the money component and being with his family. Um, I think that's uh, the obvious alert there, but um, again, would be a very perplexing ending. Um, and you, you talk about what, what the college experience and, and what he's done and you know, had a chance to win more games. He definitely had a more ch- a chance to win more games at Maryland, win the big ones, but you know, let's make no mistake about it. He, he has re- rewritten the record book. So um there's there's he's definitely left a mark in college football yeah and to that point when i talk about you know the experience piece of it that's been what's been used by so many of these guys to get the extra years of eligibility oh you know i was redshirted at this school oh, i didn't play at this school i was you know barely didn't have the opportunity and that's why i'm transferring down and should get the six or transferring up and like the case of like when you talk about let's just use the one that we've heard about this offseason the Corey bullock waiver to me that waiver makes more sense than this one because the guy was playing fcs football for four years now has a legitimate chance to be a professional athlete if he gets another year in college 
or or gives himself the opportunity, I would say, to confirm the ability without doubt that he'll become a professional athlete if he has another year of eligibility. To me, if we're giving guys six years, that's the sixth year that's there. That's when you can clearly make a case that another year at that same institution will further that person's ability to be able to succeed once they're done there. Yeah. Uh, when I look yeah. at this one, I, I don't see that because he has rewritten the record book and he has had all the press and all the media and the, the you know, he's in the Moderna ad now and he's had all, you know, he's had, from what I've heard, great NIL in terms of what Maryland can provide in that oh, and what yeah. college football can provide in that in the current format. So my question going back to it is if we're rewriting the rule book, are we just making it so it's kind of pick and choose which guys we want to based on how much they can give back to the sport? Or are we going to present some sort of clear guideline that makes the sixth and the fifth years that are out there clear cut and definition? Because the four plus the bowl game to me makes every sense. If you play more than four games in the regular season, you've played. What is that? It's not half. It's whatever it is. 45% of the games or 42% or whatever that number looks like you've contributed to that team, whether you're holding the football, taking knees or whatever, you, you've entered the stat book in a reasonable amount of competition for a team that was striving to win the national championship and, and had that legit opportunity, if not succeeded that goal that year. Yeah. Again, yeah, I, I, you uh, the nail right on the head. I mean, um, again, I, I think it's, It'll be interesting to just kind of see how it all unfolds, but um, you know the the Leah it's potentially entering the portal, going uh, what was it? I guess after last season, um, you know even that kind of felt like. I mean the rumors, you know they were there. I mean it was not just rumors. I mean it was real. But even then, it kind of felt like eh, like believe it when I see it. You know just not really sure that I can kind of picture this. And but this whole um, just it, it's it's a very head scratch moment, uh, head scratch saga. Um, but again, you know. Uh, uh, I get it from a from a business perspective, from a potential marketing perspective of the in the NIL era of being able to to be with your brother. So um, hey, if, uh, if, if why not just be one of the ten thousand to to send a waiver in the NCAA, pray and and hope for the best. So um, why not? Yeah, certainly. And then, you know what? I'll say this too. I'll be rooting for him if he if he gets the waiver and he's down there. I mean, like you said, like you mentioned, you know, at that point I'm just mad at the sport. I'm not mad at the guy. You know, he's a great guy. He's done everything they can for this school and and he wants an opportunity to go somewhere else and play. And if that yeah. governing body's not ready to say that, then I'll yeah. still be watching him on Saturday. It's just starting to ruin the sport that I've, you know, it's been my favorite sport my entire life. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like, make make no mistake about. It. I mean, all the, the the buzz is kind of this is very much family driven. Dad, who's kind of you know uh, feels like all the big QBs, you know, dads are, are very much involved in their in their uh, process and their recruitments and whatnot. But you know, he's well, everything is that he is very involved in in how the process plays out. So uh, I think that plays a large factor in how it all how all of this has unfolded. Uh, but yeah, like you said, you know, definitely nothing. It's been, been really cool watching him uh, just, like I said, just grow and, and get comfortable within the program. And uh, like we said before, reset the expectation at the position. Yeah, definitely did for the Terps. Ahmed, anything else to add tonight? No, we'll, we'll see how this week for football offseason unfolds. And uh, obviously we had one uh, transfer target, Monkel got a good one from uh, Alabama. You know, he was someone to, to keep an eye on and, you know, end up 
taking one visit two days after he uh, he entered the portal, committed South Carolina. So a uh, chance that we see, you know, more portal action uh, develop this week, potential staff movement this week. So uh, we shall see. And I guess we'll see how basketball fares on Thursday. Yeah, we definitely will. Ahmed has all of your Maryland football and basketball coverage over and inside the black and gold. Net. We have all your coverage over here on the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us where you can. Rate us, review us. It really helps us out here on the pod. For Mason Viner and Amig Gafir, as always, thanks for watching and thanks for listening.